Welcome to the 263 Chat Show, bringing you live interviews, discussions, and stories on pertinent issues in Zimbabwe and around the world. So the aim of this event today is to build and develop political accountability for women in the upcoming 2018 elections. Um, so we have lots of live tweets coming in. Facebook is as well live. Um, can I start with uh, Kuda yourself and ask what kind of election does Zimbabwean women want in 2018? Thanks, um, Fazila. The main thing for me that Zimbabwean women are looking for with the next elections is an election that is not violent. And when we're speaking about violence, we're talking about violence from the from the very beginning, which is where, where it normally starts with hate speech, talking about women's sexuality, women's bodies, to actual physical violence during the campaign phase, the election phase, and even post-elections. So women are looking for an election that has no violence, and where violence occurs, it is quickly dealt with. Um, the police must act and make sure that the perpetrators are arrested and we follow the we follow due process and make sure that this goes to to court that's that's one um another one is gender sensitive um registration process and electoral process and when we say a gender sensitive registration process it's where we recognize that women have multiple responsibilities so they cannot afford to spend five, six hours at a registration process. They have domestic responsibilities that they need to go and attend to. They have children. They are also the caregivers. So this, this needs to be taken into, into account. Um, they are also looking at making sure that during the elections, they are, there's gender balance within the electoral staff. This is during the actual election process. And not only gender balance, but um, electoral staff that has gender training so that they are able to look at the things that are affecting women during elections as well as things that affect men. Uh, Virginia, I'd like you to add on to uh, some of Koda's um, comments. In terms of violence during elections, gender sensitivity and gender balance, what would you say? I think for me, in terms of the process of the elections, what the women want is an election where the Zimbabwean woman emerges the winner. What do I mean? She's going to be able to participate in the elections without fear. Without fear of being violated, without being violated. Her choice in terms of who, who represents her and what they stand for is going to be respected. The structures that actually are in charge of the elections are going to recognize that the woman of Zimbabwe is a citizen with the rights to vote and be voted for. 
with the rights to be heard, whose voice is important in whatever dialogue is going to take place, whose choices are important, and who is supposed to be able to control their destination as a Zimbabwean. So I just want to summarize and say, we've focused so much on the processes of the elections, but I think it's important that we look at what is the outcome of the elections. We need to see the women of Zimbabwe winning. There's so many socio-economic political challenges that people are facing, and those need to be addressed. Uh, Heather, what's the findings of Zesson with regards to women? Okay, uh, with regards to women, uh, I would say uh, the major findings are that uh, coming from our society, which is um, um, mostly patriarchal, we are looking at uh, women being uh, considered uh, the weaker sex in terms of um, being candidates uh, for elections and as well as uh, being able to vote freely uh, without fear and favor. So we are looking at uh, gender roles and gender uh, stereotypes um, actually making uh, the election process uh, very difficult for women to participate as either voters or as... Um, so we see that women are more prone and more susceptible to things like vote buying and even uh, being victims of violence. Okay, so you mentioned society and cultural aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, from the tweets coming in today, uh, a lot of men are also participating um, for the women. So would you say that um, ideal ideologies are changing? I would say ideologies are changing, but still there's still a, a huge gap in terms of uh, men needing to recognize women more as being able uh, in terms of uh, actually holding political office. Okay, so my question to the panelists uh, is that, um, would you say uh, Zimbabwe is ready for a female president? I would say yes. A, a female president and a male president are, are equally able. So as long as someone uh, has the capacity and uh, is voted in through a free and fair, credible election. I would say yes, whether a person is a man or a woman, they are ready to become a president. Um, I agree with, with Heather that we need to stop looking at the at, at gender when we're talking about the presidential, uh, presidential candidate. What is this person bringing to the table is the main issue that we should be looking at. Whether it's a man or a woman, is, is immaterial. It's the issues that they're bringing to the table. Are they able to take up, are they able to meet their um, campaign, their, their, what, what they were talking about in their campaign trail and actually be able to deliver? That for me is the most important factor. Virginia? I think for me, I would say, why not? Why should the people of Zimbabwe not be ready for a female president? And why I say that is, if at the household level, We've left our, our lives to the women to manage. Even at policy making, we've left our burdens as a country to the women to manage. Whatever policy failures that have been seen in Zimbabwe have been taken forward by the women who have had to go into home-based care work to address the issues of people living with HIV AIDS, who have had to really be crossing borders, multiple borders, being abused to ensure that the economy of Zimbabwe remains afloat. We have had to actually deal with the impact of the violence that our elections are usually prone to. So if, if we agree that we trust women to pick up 
when things fail? Why not let them lead for a change? Okay. Already, as you mentioned, Virginia, I mean, women are taking a lot of the brunt of everything that's happening. But yeah. um, so why do you think it's important that women take up public offices? That would be a bigger challenge. The important thing is they're citizens of Zimbabwe. So that gives them a right to take public office, to be able to compete in a fair way with other people who also think that they are able to take the same public office and to show what it is that they can do for the people of Zimbabwe. I think the fact that we've not had a female president in the past just means we need to also get a, a female president now just to get that different perspective. Um, has the constitution facilitated women to be uh, physically positioned? The constitution, one of the things that Zimbabwe has done very well is the constitution because it pro promises, it guarantees equality of opportunity, equality in principle, it, it outlaws discrimination against anyone on the basis of sex. But the constitution is the first point. It is a document until we start to live the letter and spirit of the constitution. We need to start seeing the structures that uh, control uh, electoral process, processes work according to what the constitution says. We need as a people of Zimbabwe to also recognize that we have to live in such a way that we don't make somebody afraid to stand for office who may be the one that we are looking for because our processes are violent. So we're talking about issues of the law, yes, there are some things that could be changed to make better, but when you look at the constitution and what it guarantees, if we take the letter and spirit of the constitution, it has guaranteed the equality. What we need is to ensure that our structures and the culture of our society allows women to participate freely. Heather, what's your take? Um, yes, I would agree with Virginia, and I would say that there is need for the alignment of uh, all other laws to the constitution itself because if we don't align then uh, it means uh, we are not going to implement the provisions of the constitution as they are okay could i i'd like you to elaborate a little more um i think for me without um repeating what everybody else has has said the constitution is a great document in terms of its provisions to improve um, gender equality in, in Zimbabwe, but it is really about the implementation and adherence to the, to the constitution. And it's also about us as Zimbabweans to use the constitution um, to make sure that we are all aware of the provisions of the constitution and be able to stand up when the constitution is being violated and speak up which is something that we really haven't been doing as much as we as much as we should do we know the provisions in the constitution that are talking about gender equality and if we do know them how are we using them i think that's something that is is critical okay so have women who already hold high positions been able to be accountable Huda? um i think Women who have who are holding or who have held um, political office are held to a um, very high standard in comparison to to men, and I think this is this is a, an unfair position because they came in in exactly the the same way as as the men. Why should they be held to to higher standard? Uh, having said that, I think this is a question that should relate to both 
male and female um, people who are who are who are in power at the moment are they, have, have they have they done what they are supposed to be doing? I think we should stop looking at it from a, a gender perspective and look at the issues. Did they do what they set out to do? What sort of um, measures were put in place for to allow them to be able to 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 do what they they set out to do? I think in terms of the women that that have taken up political office, they have fared um, okay but they are also not represented as well as they should in the media. The women are doing really great things, but most of the things that you hear about them are, are negative. So we do need to raise the profile of the, the women that are in power at the moment. Okay, now how would you recommend it's done? I think one of the main things that we need to do is to profile the, the women that are in power. What is it that they have done since 2013 when they took up these particular offices um, where they have succeeded let's 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 make sure that that is known and where they have not done well let's also talk about that and see what were the impediments in their in their way so that we are able to make sure that they can deliver as best that they can Women Coalition of Zimbabwe is discussing political accountability for women in upcoming 2018 elections. You can join us on Facebook Live and Twitter. Uh, Virginia, picking up from uh, Koda, um, what would your view be? I think for me, it's an issue of as long as we're talking about accountability, we have to then clarify that when you talk about accountability, it's multiple accountabilities. To the extent that some of the women have been, uh, what is it, re-voted for into office, it means that they've been able to be accountable to their constituencies that have voted for them to be back in uh, in representing them in public office. But like Kudaya said, we want to hold everybody to the same measurement. And if we're talking about accountability, it also depends on whether the system holds them accountable. So I would say, yes, they've been accountable to the extent that the men that they're also in public office with have been accountable. Uh, I would also want to say that accountability is only possible if the system in which you're working allows you to... And this is a tricky one because I, I'm tempted to say allows you to make individual choices, but we know that in politics... It's not necessarily about the individual on what is right or what is wrong. But uh, the point I'm, I'm making is to say that uh, one of the things that we need to ensure to ensure that our women are accountable, our, our representatives are accountable, is to make it possible for the decision-making to be shared, so to speak. So even if it's at a party level, the voices of the women need to come out. A lot of the times when you talk to the women who are in high offices, what they believe in as individuals it not, is not necessarily what their parties are also pushing for. And we need to bridge that gap. Because at the end of the day, part of the reason why we want diversity in public office is to be able to represent different interests. So at the end of the day, as the women are talking, they're also talking on behalf of the many other women who are not in parliament. And those voices need to be heard. Heather. Yes. Um, maybe taking up from uh, the point that Koda was talking about in terms of um, media coverage of women, 
um, so, uh, the negative portrayal of some of the female leaders. I think it goes back to the uh, point about societal norms and values that I was trying to uh, talk about in the beginning. Uh, so it's part of our society that sometimes women, these women in high office are actually denigrated because society in the first place does not believe that a woman should be in such a place. So that um, portrays and uh, illustrates that point. So we are calling for the media to actually portray women in, in a more positive light. So would you say previously the media has not played an important role the with me- regards to women? Yes, I would say that there's still a gap. There's still a lot that they, they can do in order to uh, portray women more positively and to so that society has confidence in the ability of women uh, to be in such high offices. Virginia, you'd like to add something? Yeah, I think when you talk about accountability, the media also has to be accountable. It has to be accountable to the principles of uh, truth, of accuracy, mm-hmm. of objectivity as they're going to be covering. We know that at an individual level, all of us are prone to doing something right or wrong. It is not that those people that are profiled in a positive way all the time do not actually air, they do. The important thing is when the media is covering, what is the aim? What is the angle? Is the angle to make somebody look worse than before you covered them? Or the angle is just to tell it as it is Mm -hmm. and to tell it in the same way whether one is a woman or a man. A lot of the times you actually find that when the coverage is being made, sometimes you then say as women activists, if this is the coverage we are getting, maybe we are better off not being covered mm-hmm. because what it basically does is it entrenches those negative uh, stereotypes that is in our society. But having said that, I also want to say that we've seen some, um, some positives over the last few years where from the trainings, from the sensitizations, we've been able to start getting journalists to really try and do a story that is objective, that really helps the people of Zimbabwe to make up their minds on certain issues when they read or when they listen to their broadcasts. Would you say it's the same from uh, female media colleagues? Just as I, I talked about the women in parliament adapting to the environment in which they work, so that also explains how the women journalists also work. You work in a newsroom and that newsroom has positions, has guidelines, and has expectations of what it is they call a good story. So you actually find that it's more difficult for the women because sometimes you're writing a story that really you know is not right. But at the end of the day, if that's where you're working, it becomes a challenge for you to challenge that. So we're also calling upon the, I think when I started, I talked about structures. When you talk about structures, institutions, it's the media, it's the family and household, it's the schools, it's the, the, the workplaces, it's parliament, it's everywhere. Because when we talk about governance, all those areas have some form of governance. And what we are saying is we basically need to have the kind of culture in those structures that does not denigrate anyone, but that lives true to our constitution of gender equality and no to discrimination. So in your view, what are the key women's rights issues ahead of 2018 elections? Uh, there are many, but maybe we can just cluster there some social issues. 
So some of the rights, I think maybe we start off with the constitution. The key right is that we need to have constitutionalism in Zimbabwe. So we need our constitution to become a living document. I know a lot of the times we talk about alignment, but I liked a research or a paper that was done by Veritas some time back, which said, you know what, to talk about alignment or not alignment, we need to understand that the constitution is the supreme law of the land. So alignment is a process of making it possible to then uh, give the rights to the women. But what is most important is for people never to forget that the constitution is the document that says what my rights are and it should not be violated. So this is social, so rights to be had, rights to be represented in matters of development or any issues, rights to, uh, to have your opinions taken on board. We don't have a lot of women being in leadership, so what that means is they need to also have influence with those that are in leadership. When we look at our economy, our economy is not necessarily framed or structured to integrate women. And that's one of our biggest asks to say that we need to have the kind of economy that will empower women to be able to be self-sustaining. Because everything else we are talking about, being able to participate in elections, being able to be a candidate, is directly linked also to whether one is economically empowered or not. And then politically, we need to have the kind of electoral processes that enable a woman in Zimbabwe to participate. Kudal, what's your take? Yeah, I, would, I, I, I agree with the, the points that Virginia has, has raised. For me, the, the one issue that I think we need to, to highlight as we go towards the, the elections in terms of women is the right not for these elections to be played on, on women's bodies. Mm. That is, no, no violence. Mm. In previous elections, we've had um, women who were sexually assaulted just for having different political beliefs. Mm. And I think that is something that as a, as a nation we need to say no to and make sure that this never happens again. These victims that we are speaking about have never had justice. So for me, I think that is the, the most important thing is for the elections not to be played on women's bodies. Heather, as the electoral reform officer, what's your take? Um, I would say, um women have to be able to participate in the political process as candidates and as voters as well. We are calling for uh, the removal of all forms of in impediments that prohibit women from uh, taking part in the electoral process, uh, from voter registration, from uh, access to information about the electoral process, the voting itself, access to um, electoral education, then we are looking at, uh, maybe I might want to comment particularly on women candidates. What we have had in the past, where women have um, found it very difficult to um, acquire public office. Sometimes they actually have to go through a lot for them to be able to acquire that public office. Some of them have been subjected to things like uh, sexual violence mm. for them in order to to be able to go higher the notch uh, to acquire a public office. So we are saying um, let women uh, be able to participate without all, all those forms of um, violence and all forms of uh, discrimination. Okay, um, a lot that I'm picking up is the word violence against women. 
um, how and what can be done uh, in terms of violence, in terms of uh, all forms of uh, manipulation and intimidation. Uh, we are calling for the activation of the systems uh, that uh, that can actually deal with, with the violence. In the law, we have uh, some bodies that have been mandated to actually take um, to deal with violence in the constitution and in the electoral law. Which so we are looking at sorry, uh, organizations sorry. like the Zimbabwe Human Rights Commission, the police, they've actually been asked to come up with committees that deal with with violence timelessly. And if these are activated, then there'll be less violence. Virginia, would you like to come in and add something? Yes, I, I think to the extent that we're talking about accountability, political parties have to be accountable to the mm -hmm. people of Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. They have to be accountable for the actions of their members. If we take the best case scenario and think that they don't actually send their members to beat up opponents, mm -hmm. And we say it's the members who are airing, airing. We want to actually say that the political parties have to take responsibility for saying no to violence in Zimbabwe against anyone, but particularly against women. And for the simple reason that women become more vulnerable because in terms of position in society, mm -hmm. they don't have the kind of power that the others have to protect themselves. As the Women's Coalition, we've had a situation where when there's been politically motivated violence, and one now seeks to get health or get treatment and then to also get justice to report the issue. It's very difficult because people don't want to acknowledge politically motivated violence. Mm. So while it could be domestic violence and I could go and report, I could go to the clinic and be treated. When it's politically motivated violence, people want to pretend it did not happen. And what this means is that then the women that have been affected, the girls that have been affected, are not able to also access other rights that come as a result of that violence. Kodal? Yeah, um, just to pick up where Virginia left off, I think it's important for political parties to also deal with inter-party inter violence. I think that's where it all starts, mm -hmm. before we even get outside the, the political parties. Yeah. So there has to be serious adherence um, within the, the political parties first before we start talking about issues happening outside. All of these political parties stand up and they say no to violence, but mm -hmm. they are not practicing it yeah. within their own political parties. So I think that's one of the things that we really call upon because women do become violent um, victims of violence and they are victims of violence in two specific ways. The first one being direct um, victims of violence where the whatever is happening is happening directly to them but also they are secondary victims because it's women who are caregivers and they have to look after the male colleagues who have been or family members who have been um, involved in violence so this again is a, is a form of violence that women have to deal with so it's important for political parties within themselves to to stop violence and to make sure that they adhere to their own constitutions and policies. And with regards to the violence during elections, has there been any dialogue by women organizations with the police? 
there's been a lot of dialogue and it continues not just by women organizations but by civil society remember there was the peace campaign peace begins with me mm-hmm. peace begins with you peace begins with all of us there's been that at national level like could i had actually already said uh i think what's important is we need to move beyond just dialoguing and start implementing mm-hmm. we need to start living and feeling the peace and the absence of violence of course as women we also know that uh the violence that comes with elections is not the only one we have to deal with and i won't go into detail today but one of the issues is that for women even when they're not violated from an elections perspective sometimes they're violated even at the household and domestic level and that means that they're then not confident to be able to try and even take up office or participate in the elections so what is important is we're not just looking at the elections cycle we actually say throughout let's just outlaw uh violence so that the people of Zimbabwe are able to be who they are i also want to say that uh, when we talk about elections a lot of the times we look at the elections the process of the elections and forget i said it in the beginning forget why we go to elections and for me working at the ufic where we're looking at humanitarian issues it's really painful that every time you have elections and then after those elections it's like people are worse off than they were before the last elections so we need to get to a point where we are saying when we go to elections we need to be able to see the accountability that comes from addressing those key socio economic and cultural issues that people are grappling with so that even as they exercise their civil and political rights they are also able to do that knowing that socially economically i'm in a good space okay. heather and kuda um virginia just mentioned women are worse off each time what's your take on that i i i agree as as i said women are victims primary and secondary victims so after the elections they have to deal with the consequences of of these um elections homes have been destroyed families have been split up and women are the ones who are responsible for taking care of the of the homes so for me it's 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 a it's a serious issue for for women and it definitely needs to be to be addressed so in from from a woman's perspective elections are a very scary um process okay um in terms of addressing um this issue of women being worse off all the time i think we we should target um women themselves but we should also go beyond targeting women because we are looking at um our male uh, colleagues our male counterparts i think they should um actually be the ones that are taught or that are made to appreciate the role that women play so i think if we target them and they are able uh, we are able to have a, uh, a change in terms of societal perspective it will actually contribute a lot to lessening the plight of the women when it comes to elections thank you women coalition zimbabwe is discussing political accountability for women in upcoming 2018 elections you can join us on facebook live and twitter um my next question is um what can be done to convince more women to come forward obviously <laughs> the convincing before we are even talking 
before you talk to individual women is for them to see that the environment is safe for them to come forward. Mm -hmm. So we could always say so many things and we do say so many things as women's organizations, as organizations dealing with uh, elections, as uh, civil society organizations, as government. But what is important is does the, what does the environment tell the women? The men, it's not just the women, the women, the men, the boys and girls of Zimbabwe to say, is that a space you want to participate in or you want to stay away? But having said that, we also want to be able to ensure that the laws, at least the progressive laws of our country are being followed in terms of when the women want to register, when the women want to be able, when we need to do voter education. A lot of the times we find that there are so many, what's the word, difficulties or barriers put to carrying out voter education in mm. Zimbabwe. Mm. And we do understand that people want to ensure that our electorates are not taken advantage of. But you also attempted to think that there is a reason why people don't want our electorate to be as educated about their rights as possible. And unfortunately, you end up thinking that there are some negative reasons why that is being done. Obviously, voter education has to be done regardless of who's doing it, to the extent that the people of Zimbabwe know what their rights are according to the constitution, know what it is that they can do, what, the, what it is that they can do, and what role they play, and how important their participation in elections is. Mm -hmm. uh, then in terms of um, knowledge and capacity, I think women, more women need to be capacitated. If we look at um, the, the case as it is right now, we find out that the few women who actually come forward are those women who are really competitive compared to, um, seems like uh, men who, who go forward uh, for political office, they are not as not all of them are as competitive uh, if we are comparing with women. So I think there is need for more education, water education, for more women to realize uh, their rights in the political process. Kuda? Yeah. Yeah. I agree that um, there is need for more uh, voter education. And in a research that we conducted some years ago, we found that when um, voter education is conducted women woman to woman there's you have more chance mm -hmm. of um improving the the chances of these women actually going out to participate because they are being encouraged by their their peers mm -hmm. and this this definitely this definitely helps so voter education is is important and as virginia said creating an environment that is conducive for a woman to want to go out and and participate. Okay, so what kind of elections is free and fair for women? It's the kind of elections where all the rules, where there's transparency. Mm -hmm. So we know what the rules are. We know how you play the game. So everything is available for the people of Zimbabwe to make their decisions. So you're able to access the relevant electoral officers. You are able to also access the relevant uh, registration registration offices to be able to really ensure that you are, in, you are able to, to participate. I think one of our challenges is we look at the issue of violence and then it kind of makes us think that once we don't have the physical sexual violence, then everything is okay. 
but there's a more insidious violence that happens where the game is rigged in terms of for example as long as we don't ensure that uh people that are on uh people living with disabilities that are on wheelchairs or need to have special entry to places if those interests are not catered for it means there's there's no freedom there's no fairness because by by although they may want to participate they're not able to i also know from some work i used to do that we have lots of people in zimbabwe who cannot prove where they stay they stay somewhere but they cannot prove because they don't own their houses they're not able to have an affidavit to say I, i'm a lodger at this place those people are not able to participate in elections if they can't prove that becomes a challenge apart from the fact that even the entryways into sorry the information itself when somebody needs to get information they need to be able to get information by those duty bearers who are tasked by the constitution to provide that information is the kind of uh, free and fair is the kind of election where right from the outset the outcome should be that the people of zimbabwe win like i said in the beginning it's the interests of the people not just a few powerful individuals but the interests of the people of zimbabwe could yeah i think for me a free and fair election is one where the will of the people is respected so regardless of which political party is is the winner as long as this is what the the people of zimbabwe have have said this is this is the the candidate that we that candidate and um political party that we want and getting there has been um free and fair there've been no impediments on the way to making sure that the the will of the people is is respected yes i would say uh, the a free and fair election is one where there is a level playing field where uh, both men and women are are able to access information in the same way uh where everything is uh, friendly for both men and women no violence peaceful equal opportunities so in terms of women participation in zimbabwe how do we look at rural women are they not overlooked the, you know it's actually a funny it's a funny one <laughs> because when you like even when you imagine issues of elections and who you can see the rural women in your face in your mm. mind mm. because they are the ones that are targeted for mobilizing when people when our candidates want to show up their support they're going to target the rural women they target the urban urban women peri urban women they are targeted but i think what is important is are those women being targeted by people who are really working from in good faith mm-hmm. So like you really care about the people you're talking to you understand what the issues are and you are saying you are the best candidate because you have a solution for what the issues or what problems they are facing so you find that one of the things about elections is you will see the women and they are the king makers but they don't get considered for office so we need to move away from getting women and showing or taking advantage of the numbers that are already there and starting to say what is it that they get out of participating whether is the voters or those to be voted could 
the, the rural women definitely are um, represented and they have been targeted by political political parties. I actually think that there are more rural women that are participating than than urban than urban women. So there is that there, there's a misconception that rural women are being are being left out. So for me, it would actually be to level the the playing field and have voter education for uh, rural women and for urban women, but recognizing that the issues are are different and the messaging therefore should be different for a rural elderly woman and a young urban woman. So for me, it's for political parties to take that into into consideration that it's not just a woman. Women are, are different. We are not just one homogeneous group. So would you say there's more work to be done on that? Definitely. There is a lot more work to be done. Only by political parties or organizations as well? Both. It's um, political parties, um, civil society and the general public. Virginia? I think we, one thing I'm thinking is, you know, we've changed who's supposed to be accountable to who when you talk about elections. And people, I think whoever wants to be a candidate is supposed to be accountable to the people that they want them to vote for, that they want to be voted by. Uh, but one finds that, and I'm speaking here from my experience, not recently, not in the recent past, but in the past, as a person who was in who was a youth, we had the chef syndrome. And the chef syndrome, funny enough, was these were stewards. So they elected people who were supposed to then be accountable to us. But they were our chefs. So once they're our chefs, it means then we don't have the kind of environment that allows us to really question our chefs. And this is not just in politics. It's everywhere, even when we go to church and whatnot. You've got a situation where the people that are supposed to be doing servant leadership become the ones that are guiding. Mm -hmm. And we need to move away from that. Even when I'm talking about, when you're talking about the rural women, they and so many. How come they don't have a voice when they have the numbers? They need to have that voice to be able to say, no, this is what we want. This is what we don't want. And that needs to be to go across the, the organizations, civil society organizations, in government, in churches, in the private sector. We need to be able to get the representatives or social inclusion of the majority voice. Heather? Yeah, uh, just picking up from what Kuda was saying, uh, I agree that um, for the rural women, it's not really a problem of um, participation in terms of uh, voting. Um, basing on the recent by-elections that we've been observing as ZESNI, um, the percentage of women, of uh, voters actually, uh, a very huge percentage are actually women, and most of them are elderly women. But uh, at the same time, when it comes to things like um, assisted voters, we find that they also occupy a very large chunk mm. of the population of voters. So I think probably what we need is more education for the uh, voters, uh, of which our rural women constitute a great part. So we've been um, on our advocates, one of our points of advocacy has been to ask ZEC uh, to do more in terms of educating and also to open up for more players to participate in voter education so that we reach um, those people. So, would it be correct to say that rural women are not neglected? 
it's incorrect. <laughs> they are what we are not saying is that their issues are covered. No, we are not saying that. We are saying they are being targeted. In fact, let me let me quote one of the statements that was made by the director of Wipsu recently. The way our society and Heather has already said it. The way our society is organized is that it's patriarchal and because it is patriarchal and there's also the violence issue, you'll find that women are not actually seen as active citizens of Zimbabwe. They're not active citizens of Zimbabwe. So whatever elections, campaigns may sound like they're for the majority, the women or the majority, the Zimbabweans. But in terms of special strategies to ensure their support, it's not necessarily in the interests of the women. I think if we look at what we've said when we started, where we're talking about whether women are ready, whether the country is ready for a female president, whether women in uh, public office are accountable or able to really change the way things are, that same strand goes through even when the women are being targeted to support those that want to be voted for. It's not for their own interests that they're actually being mobilized. Like I said, they are the kingmakers, so they are mobilized to support mainly male candidates mm -hmm. whose interests are not necessarily the same as the women's interests. Okay, we have a response from Twitter on what needs to be done to curb violence on women. Uh, they say stiffer penalties, set up rapid response structures for females. What's your take? I think it's it's all fair and good. Um, the issue is, do the police recognize that, um, as, as Virginia said, that there is politically motivated violence? What we have seen in the past is when um, a person goes to report politically motivated violence, they are turned away. So this is the first thing that needs to change, that politically motivated violence has to be recognized as any other. Um, crime that is happening in the in the country and then the the other um, processes can then take place because in previous elections the police were not acting the health sector was not acting the women that were violated ended up running towards civil society organizations for for assistance so for me the first thing is that the police need to recognize political violence as a as violence and treat it without looking to see who is the perpetrator and who is the the victim and just treat it as a crime so when you talk about police are we also saying the female counterparts of the police as well in yeah it's a system and for us when we were doing research around um, politically motivated sexual violence the women actually said female police officers are much worse than the, the male counterparts. But as Virginia is saying, it's a system. We need to change the system. Heather? Yeah, I would agree that I think uh, stiffer penalties would do much to deter the violence. But first of all, we need um, to recognize that the violence is there. In the past, we've had cases where that were reported but never acted upon. Mm -hmm. So let's recognize that the violence is there and then let's impose stiffer penalties after that. Women Coalition Zimbabwe is discussing political accountability for women in upcoming 2018 elections. You can join us on Facebook Live and Twitter. 
Um, currently, do we have any female representatives who are wanting to join politics? As in standing for presidential elections or upcoming elections, are there any new women who would like to come forward? Well, we have um, three women who are leading political parties um, at the moment. The most popular being uh, Joyce Mutu, but there's also Barbara Nyakomo, who is heading Progressive Democrats of Zimbabwe, and there's also Marceline um, Chikasha. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of her political party, but those are the three women that are um, heading political parties. And they have been quite active, meaning that they are wanting to put up their names for the presidential election. Okay, um, so the three women that you've just mentioned, do they stand a chance in 2018 election? Um, as we, <laughs> I don't want to be a prophet and say, you know, they, this, is, this is what's going to happen. But they stand a, a, as good a chance as any other male um, um, presidential, presidential candidate. Heather? Um, I would say uh, there's still a, a huge gap. Uh, looking at uh, what the law provides for in terms of gender parity, uh, section um, 3G, I think, of the Constitution, which talks about gender equality. And there are also other provisions, like about the Senate, there are other provisions about na National Assembly. But we are saying uh, currently the level of um, women participation in high office is still very low. So looking at three female presidents in a country where we have about 46 political parties, mm. I'm just saying there's still a huge gap in terms of uh, female participation. Representation. Yeah, I think uh, the constitution gives them 50% or equal chance mm -hmm. with any other candidate that wants to put them forward, put themselves forward for election. I think the devil is in the issue of whether the culture and the play the playing field is leveled enough. If mm -hmm. it can ever be leveled enough for them to participate in a way that uh, really gives effect to their probability according to the constitution. Because like now, we talked, Koda talked about the three women. They are high-profile women. They are in the media. How is the media treating them? What does it say to the young woman who wants to run for council mm -hmm. in Cholocho, in Madziwa? Who, wants, who thinks they, they also want to throw in their towel? Because people will be saying, mm -hmm. So really, it's, 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 it's an issue of it's, 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 maybe there is an opportunity, because like what we've seen in America, where we had the presidents, and then it was time for a black president, and then it was almost time for a woman president, <laughs> and then we saw it was delayed. Maybe also for these women, it is time for women in mm. Zimbabwe. Mm. The important thing is to what extent, what are people looking for and what do the processes enable them to do? If the processes allow the will of the people to prevail, who knows? So, um, in the UK Parliament, of 208 out of 650 women elected in the Parliament, 
where does Zimbabwe stand? Uh, the UK Parliament, the women that were elected, are 208 of 650. What would you say Zimbabwe stands at? I know that we, we are around 35%. Yeah. So, so would you say that's a good percentage? It's not. The constitution says 50%. So until we get to 50%. So the constitution is, is allowing 50%, but there's just no... Are you saying there's not enough women or there's just no interest? No, no, it's the issues we've been discussing and really we also have to recognize that it's not an event, it's a process. Mm. We're talking about deconstructing opinions, socialization over a long period. We're also talking about, I mean, this is it's elections, politics, highly competitive, fighting for resources, others wanting to ensure that they remain in a good place. And you therefore want to ensure that you are the one who's there. So it becomes very highly competitive and very expensive. One of the issues maybe we didn't say is the way politics in Zimbabwe is being run makes it very expensive for you as an individual to want to participate. Mm -hmm. Because instead of just being a prospective duty bearer or representative of the government or state or state, it becomes very expensive. We've heard of MPs who have to fund funerals, who have to fund weddings. This is even before we talk about the vote, vote buying that the system also expects you to do. So it becomes very expensive. So it will take a while for us to get to a point where we have the 50%. But the important thing is the constitution says 50%. Mm -hmm. So that's where we aspire to. For those that are in decision making, they're supposed to be ensuring that we are getting very close to the 50%. Mm. So one of the proposals from the Women's Coalition before the 2013 elections was, was to ask Zek to say when the political parties bring in their party lists of who's representing them, couldn't we get a requirement to say the party list should already start to show us the 50%. Mm. You know, that's what happened in, in Senate. We had the zebra where you've got a woman and a man, and, and we got to 48% very easily. Mm. But I remember we did not quite win that argument, and we need to continue advocating with the electoral management bodies to say, if the constitution says there should be parity, 50%, it means those coming with lists where you have 20% of one sex, they are ultra virus, I would mm. want to say, mm. the constitution. Now it has to say, the lawyers can help us. Heather? Yeah, um, we're talking about the parliament. I think it's even worse in the cabinet, if uh, mm -hmm. you can correct me. Mm -hmm. I think uh, currently we are talking of nine, somewhere between 9 and 11% mm -hmm. uh, being women in the cabinet. Mm -hmm. So we still have a long way to go. And as Virginia was saying, it's a, a process, not an event. Mm -hmm. So we should be looking at uh, making those changes, no matter how incremental they are. But as long as we are progressing and getting ahead until we reach the 50%. So um, what benefits would it be to vote for women in any political position? Uh, it would surely bring um, the 50% that we want, first of all. And then, uh, of course, um, in terms of um, the views that we want, we also want to have the women's views. 
so it would represent uh, the views that are currently not being represented. Koda? Yeah, um, it definitely brings diversity. And this is what we are, we are saying. Zimbabwe is made up of men and, and women, and we actually have more women. We have uh, 52%, our population is 52% women. So why are we not having um, high numbers of, of women in, in governance structures? And just to go back to your previous question with the numbers of women in, in parliament, it's at 35%, um, but when you actually take out the... Um, quota, the quota that was given by Section 124 of the Constitution, it actually comes down to 17%. So we definitely have a lot of work that, that we need to do to make sure that we get to the 50-50 so that our country is representative of both men and women. Okay, so now my final, uh, sorry, your final messages with regards to election 2018 and women what would that be i'll start with you virginia i think were the elections that women want in 2018 are elections that will improve whose outcome will address the key social economic and political issues we are facing as a people today elections that are violence free and not just violence in terms of the physical and the sexual, but even in psychological, because there's a lot of psychological warfare mm -hmm. that is actually played upon political opponents, and we need to have that also being taken out, taken away. The kind we want the kind of elections where the women's voice, the women's choices, and the women's ability to control their destiny is recognized and upheld. Thank you. Uh, okay, coming from an elections group, um, I would call upon um, the Zimbabwe Election Commission and all the other stakeholders, uh, all the other electoral stakeholders to um, actually enable uh, women to take part in the whole electoral process. We are saying let each stage of the uh, electoral process be female friendly. Let us remove all those um, inhibitions that um, that uh, make women uh, not participate as much as they are supposed to, to be participating. So let's have uh, more women being represented and uh, participating at each stage of the electoral cycle. Could I? Yeah, um, I think for me it's, it's also to make sure that we have more women participating. We also have um, more, more women, younger women coming into the um, in, into political positions would also want to see women represented represented positively in the media as we get towards the, um, the elections and to make sure that the environment enables us to have a free and fair election. Thank you all who joined us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, very grateful to Kudachitsike, Director Research and Advocacy Unit, RAU, uh, Heather Koga, Advocacy for Electoral Reform Officer from Zesin, and Virginia Muwangiwa, sorry, Muwanigwa, uh, from Humanitarian Information Facility Center, the Director and former 
Women Coalition of Zimbabwe Chair. Thank you very much for the discussion today. Thank you. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at 263chat. Our website www.263chat.com.